Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is the Stop Turning on the Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC heads back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 59, a headlined fight by Tiago Santos versus Jamal Hill. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. In addition to that, we've got interviews for you guys, as we always do. Talking to us this week is Brian Battle as he drops down to 170 pounds to fight Takashi Sato this weekend. And we'll be talking to Terrence McKinney, who's looking to rebound from his last fight against Eric Gonzalez again this weekend in the Apex. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can check out my bonus selection that you can only find on the Better Than Vegas page the Top Turtle MMA page, rather, that is at BetterThan.Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Brian Battle, who fights Takashi Sato at UFC Vegas 59, that fight on August 6th. So, Brian, I, I gotta start here. I was looking at your, your Instagram, man, and you're absolutely cut now. I, I know you decided to make this change down to 170 pounds, and you're clearly doing it the right way. Tell me, what, what prompted you to decide, you know, no more 85 and down to 70? Well, um, really, it, it wasn't uh, a decision it wasn't something I did intentionally to be completely honest with you. Um, uh, I really just had more time and resources than I ever had before to, you know, invest in myself and to invest in training. And, um, uh, after my last fight, I actually just wanted to get stronger. So I just did like some athletic training, you know, some weight training. And, uh, I, I was getting stronger. I was getting more athletic, you know, I was getting faster, but uh, you know, I was like losing weight and I wasn't trying to lose weight, you know? Um, and so, probably not even three weeks, four weeks tops after I fought Trey, I did a little test cut um, and the test cut went well. And so, you know, I told my manager, Jason House, Iridium Sports, you know, the match me up at welterweight. They're getting ready to go uh, make some noise down there. So I, I got to ask then. So you, you said you did a, a test weight cut three weeks after fighting. Like, did, did you, did this weight just like melt off in like no time? Cause I'm assuming after the fight, you know, you, you gain a little bit of weight back, especially after the cut. Like, how quick are we talking here? Well, honestly, um, and this was something I was thinking about going into the Trey Sean fight because um, that was the first time, to, to put it in perspective, when I fought on the finale, I had to cut about 15 pounds the day before uh, to make weight. Um when I fought Trey Sean, I didn't even have to do a sauna session. I like just put on some sweats and grappled in a hot room for like half an hour and I woke up on weight. And so, um, it was weird. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was nice that it was that easy, 
but it didn't feel it didn't feel proper you know what i'm saying i didn't feel like i had like gone through the agony you know what i'm saying that you know really prepares you for war and whatnot you know so um you know after the trade fight i never blew back up and that was the thing i wasn't necessarily trying to eat to lose weight but i like i wasn't necessarily monitoring what i was eating but i was you know not being crazy either you know what i'm saying i wasn't just eating for the sake of eating you know what i mean um and so you know just training uh you know i didn't stop training after the fight i kept on training and you know i, I was losing a little bit of weight you know what i'm saying i was like this is interesting i was like you know i wonder i wonder if i could do it you know what i'm saying and so just out of curiosity you know i set one friday aside and um you know I, I spent all day you know doing a little test weight cut it was it wasn't very fun but you know it, it went well you know what i'm saying it was uh the experiment paid off and, and so does this mean that your your weight cut down to welterweight is now going to be like easier than your old weight cuts down to middleweight like your your, your weight cut say for the tough finale is this one going to be smaller than that um hopefully Hopefully, um, if I'm 185 pounds by the time I start my water cut, I'll be very happy. You know, 15 pounds—that's pretty routine. That's something I'm used to. Um, anything underneath of that will just be gravy. You know what I mean? Awesome. Now I, I know we're talking about probably the least fun thing for a fighter in the whole world, but I want to ask one more question. Like, obviously, in training, like I said, you lo- you look absolutely shredded right now. It, it, do you feel a big difference in the gym in, in speed and in strength? Is it a little bit of both? Like what, what's the biggest difference for you with your new body type? Oh no. Yeah. It was just, um, overall athleticism, everything that goes into that category, you know what I'm saying? I feel this is the best I've ever felt physically. You know what I'm saying? Like, even though I'm going down a weight class, I'm stronger than I was last time I fought at 185. You know what I mean? Um, like I, I would, out muscle the version of myself that went on to tough you know what i'm saying that was a much bigger dude you know uh and yeah i'm i'm, I'm very uh, i'm faster now you know what i'm saying i'm seeing things better you know my reflexes are sharper you know it's just, physically i just feel fantastic you know and um you know that combined with all the little technical things we've been working on working on technique you know i'm very excited for this fight Absolutely. And, and it's worth mentioning, too, that this seems to be like, you, you know, your first fight away from the Ultimate Fighter. I know we mentioned the Ultimate Fighter a couple of times. We, we mentioned Trayshawn a couple of times. Like, you had the finals, and then you had, like, almost like a pretend extra finals, right? People wanted mm-hmm. you to go yeah. beat Trayshawn. Is that like, does that bring, like, extra emphasis to this fight, that it's, like, a big deal, that it's your first away from all of that? No, absolutely. Um and not only that, uh, you know, Takashi, he's a real veteran. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you see a lot of guys uh, in my place fighting guys with, like, similar records who are prospects coming off the regional scene. And, you know, Takashi's a guy who, you know, he just got two knockouts in the UFC. You know what I mean? I mean, he's on a little bit of a skid, but he's a really dangerous guy who's, you know, seen a lot of things and fought some of the best guys in the world. So, um, you know, just the, the step up in competition in general is just very exciting. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, this is the first time I'm fighting someone who, you know, spent most of their life, you know, outside the U.S., you know what I'm saying? It just comes here to train, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's, it's just very exciting overall. Yeah, and you mentioned that he's seen a lot of things, right? Like, he, he's fought, you know, guys who have been close to or had a title shot with, like, Gunnar Nelson and Paul mm-hmm. Muhammad. And, like, he he's fought the tippity-top guys. But it does seem like 
he, he's kind of a big power puncher who has a lot of trouble with grapplers. Is, is that sort of where you feel like your biggest advantage is in this fight? Um, to be completely honest, you know, like you said, I mean, he, he's got a really dangerous left hand. You know what I'm saying? His hands are really fast. You know, he's got sharp reflexes. Um, I, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble with my reach. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, he's probably got a lot of good looks down uh, – training with uh Sanford um I, I think they just changed the name but Killcliffe uh, now being, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah team Killcliffe you know what I mean but um you know go back to uh Baez fight you know what I'm saying he had a, a hard time getting inside on Baez you know my arms are long as Baez's right now you know what I'm saying I mean, right now but always but um, <laughs> and if it does into grappling realm I feel very comfortable there you know what I'm saying my grappling is you know really strong right now really smothering so uh you know, wherever the fight goes, I feel very comfortable. Awesome. That's great to hear. Now, you said working on some technique stuff. I, I know the last time we talked, you talked about maybe doing a little bit of traveling to take advantage of maybe some of those relationships you made during tough. Were you able to do any of that? Or is this all been, like you said, you, you went almost right back into camp after the trade shop fight. Is it all been at home for this? Yeah, you know, uh, that's like one of those things, one of those wishful thoughts you have when uh, you're on a reality show and you're cut off from reality, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and then you get back home and, you you know, you remember you have a the new baby, and, you know, <laughs> like, and you can't just, like, pick up and go to Thailand, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, right now just with life, and I shouldn't even say unfortunately, you know, um, you know, I've been blessed with what's been happening here with my family, you know, I got a little family developing here and just like watching them and being around them makes me a better person. And I think, you know, that contributes to me being a better fighter. Um, and so, uh, yeah, all this extra stuff I've been doing is just stuff in Charlotte, you know what I'm saying? There's excellent people in Charlotte that have been really, um, helping me out and, you know, just sharpening tools that I already developed, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I don't think there's any doubt people can put in that. It's definitely working for you. Now, I did also want to ask you before we get back to your fight and talking a little bit about your fight uh, about your coach. Obviously we got to see him put on an absolute clinic once again, uh, your tough coach that is rather not your, yeah. your coach, Charlotte, your tough coach, Alexander Volganovsky putting on an absolute clinic, uh, beating Max Holloway again. What was it like, you know, seeing him fight again? What was it like, you know, I, I assume being one of the, you know, very few times since you've been on the show that you got to watch him fight and root for him. What, what was yeah. it like seeing him put that clinic on? Uh, man, it was it was really inspiring. I mean, just watching him every time, because you know, just like you said, now since since the show is like I know Volk, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like a priority. Like I have to if he's fighting, I have to shut down life. I have to watch that fight, you know. Um, and every time you watch him, he's just so good, and it's just. I don't think people really appreciate. I think people are starting to appreciate it more, but everything he does is just so good. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I mean, that's just uh, the level that MMA has gotten to now. Like, I mean, I, I get the same feeling when I watch Charles Oliveira. Like he's just so good, you know, watching them. Like I'm in awe when I'm watching them because I'm like, I, I can't believe what they're actually doing against these high level guys. Um, so yeah, watching Volk do what he did against Max was just it was really inspiring. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, as a, uh, a fighter coming up the ranks, you know, that's something to aspire to, to be that good. You know what I mean? Well, let's talk about you putting that into action. Then once again, you're fighting Takashi Sato, August 6th. Give us a prediction. How do you see that one ended? 
um, you know, there's a lot of ways this one could end. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, Takashi is a really dangerous dude. Um, but, you know, I really see myself imposing uh, my will, my game plan on him and uh, getting them out of there by the end of the second round. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Brian Battle, who fights Takashi Sato at UFC Vegas 59. Once again, that fight, August 6th. Brian, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for talking to me, brother. You have a good one. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Ultimate Fighter winner Brian Battle. I, once again, am Daniel gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we could say a lot of things about this past weekend's UFC 277. We could certainly talk about Amanda Nunes and her incredible performance against Juliana Pena. But I want to ask you this instead. Instead of breaking down the fight itself, I want to ask you, what do you want to see Amanda Nunes do in her next fight? Wow, that's a great question. You know, so who would be the logical number one contender at 135? I think Ketlin Vieta coming off the Holly Holm win is probably legitimately the number one contender. If you're looking for somebody outside of maybe perhaps a couple of extra trilogy fights. Yeah, so I actually lean towards having Valentina Shevchenko come up again and just let's get it out of our system one more time i still think there's something to be said there for valentina having a chance but you know caitlin vieta not the worst option as somewhat of a tune-up fight in tune-up but what i mean for that is i think dana white loves juliana pena uh i think he loves her nickname i think he loves everything about her i think he wants to make that trilogy fight so i think that fight is going to happen and i don't need to see it right away I think Amanda Nunes proved clear in a way she's the better fighter. It was not as close as the announcers tried to make it seem. Uh, but I have a feeling the UFC wants to do that trilogy fight. So almost anything sounds better to me than an immediate Juliana Pena rematch. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I think I, I personally would like to see Ketlin Vieta. I, I like the idea of her because, you know, she's both a good grappler. She's much bigger than, than Amanda Nunes, which we don't typically see very often. You could even do it at 45. If if Amanda Nunes wants to, you know, quote unquote, defend her 45 belt like she said she did, like Ketlin Vieta would be like, that's fine. I don't have to cut the last 10 pounds of the like 25 I cut. She'd probably be jacked up about it. So, you know, do Ketlin Vieta at 45 if you want. I originally was like, pump the brakes on Valentina, because like Valentina has a couple of challengers who are like waiting in the wings in a number one contender fight, but like the number one contender fight I was thinking about was Manon Firo versus Caitlin Chokagian, and I think last week they pushed that fight back a month and a half. So now instead of that happening in September, it's happening in the middle to the end of October. So, like, even if that's the number one contender fight for Valentina, she's probably going to be ready before then, you know, and, and, you know, you assume whoever wins that fight is going to have to heal up, too. So, like, maybe Valentina versus Nunes happens while Valentina finds a new challenger in, like, you know, November or something like that, and then you run both of the number one contenders against, you know, whoever is healthy out of those two fights. You know, you get Manal Firo versus Shevchenko. You get Ketlin Vieta versus uh, Nunez no matter what. So, and, and I totally agree with you. Like, let's have Juliana Pena go fight Holly Holm, right? Like, or let's have her yeah. go fight, you know, get a rematch in with Jermaine Durand to me. Like, you know, just let, let's have her go fight somebody. Let's have her go fight Irene Aldana. Um, I, I'm fine with any of those matchups. But, like, yeah, the, the one-sided beatdown we just saw, we don't need to run her back yet. 
Yep, agree with you completely. But I'll tell you what we do need to run back. It's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays, for UFC Vegas 59. Somewhat of an underwhelming card, but that doesn't mean there is not value to find or some highlights we can pick out. Uh, and we intend to do that for you because we're going to give you a couple of fights, a couple of dogs, a couple of live dogs, and a parlay to play. So Gumby, before we get into it, who sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on the UFC and MMA in general. For one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who gives you full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For that same great price, you get the access to their brand new base AI prediction software, which uses advanced algorithms to give you percentages on every possible outcome for every Every single UFC fight and they've got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs including a daily fantasy one if that's your gig so go check them out at mmaplay365.com and don't forget to use promo code top turtle for 10% off their annual package that's mmaplay365 all right well let's start with this main event uh it is Jamal Hill a minus 260 favorite taking on Tiago Santos a plus 220 dog Tiago Santos, let's talk about him, Gumby. He fought for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship, looked good, but got injured, and uh, lost a split decision to John Jones in that fight, took a layoff, came back the next year, lost to Glover Teixeira, and then lost to Alexander Rachik. Uh So three in a row did he lose, and that was after earning a title shot, beating the lights of Jan Blankovic, Jimmy Manoa, four wins in a row, got the title shot, then loses three in a row, comes back, beats Johnny Walker back in October of 2021, and now lost again to Magomed Ankielev. Can Tiago Santos right the ship? He has uh, a tough road ahead, and it's going to be a tough day at the office because Jamal Hill is on a two-fight winning streak with KOs over Jimmy Crute and the aforementioned Johnny Walker. Lost to Paul Craig via TKO back in June of last year and had beat Ovin St. Prue. Darko Stosik before that uh, had a no contest in there, but the bottom line is his one loss in his professional career in the UFC is to Paul Craig. And other than that, he has looked nothing short of dominant. He's the, uh, the favorite here by a pretty nice margin at minus 260. Who you got? I'm going to go with Jamal Hill. I think it's the smart play here. Look, I, I get that Tiago Santos looked good against John Jones, but he ain't looked good since then. Um, he, he, I mean, even the win against Johnny Walker was lackluster. The, the problem with him, too, is exactly the problem with fighting a guy like Jamal Hill. He's overly passive, right? Like, he, he won't commit to anything on, like, a large scale. Like, he doesn't go for it like he used to. And maybe that John Jones fight broke something in him because he did go for it and he had his knee kicked in. Um, but like the old Tiago Santos that was winning fights, the old Maheta who was winning fights was one who threw his bombs and went and, and tried to finish people, right? Like that, that was the thing that made him so dangerous. And I think here he, he's kind of stopped doing that. And he's fighting a guy who, first of all, is very long, who fights very long and who he's got knockout power. He's been knocking out literally everybody he fights, not named Paul Craig. So um, we watched him knock out Jimmy Crute. We watched him knock out uh, – who, who was the one he knocked out last? Uh, it's, I'm drawing a blank. But, like, he, he's on a great run where he's knocking people out. And I think here he just pressures Tiago Santos enough. And when P Tiago Santos tries to circle away instead of engaging, he gets caught doing it. 
You're talking about you were trying to find out who he knocked out. It was Walker, Crute, Ovin St. Prue, uh, Wa- Alexander Popek. Yeah, well, it was Wa- Johnny Walker when he knocked out Johnny Walker. Yeah. He stiffened Johnny Walker up real bad. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that's the Tiago Santos fate here too. Yep, I agree with you completely. Uh, I think it's not only a safe play. Sometimes I get enticed by dogs who, you know, have shown greatness in the past, which certainly Tiago Santos has and he has power in his hands, but I, I'm not even enticed at that, that money on him as a dog. So we'll move on. Vicente Luke is a minus 175 favorite. Jeff Neal, a plus 150 dog. Let's talk about our boy Vicente Luke, the New Jersey product. He is coming off a loss to Balil Muhammad, but he was on a four-fight win streak before that, and it was an impressive one. Uh, submissions over Tyron Woodley, Michael Chiesa, a KO of Randy Brown, and a TKO of Nico Price. You'd have to go back to Stephen Thompson uh, for his last loss that started that four-fight win streak. So he's four and two in his last six with losses to Balil Muhammad and Stephen Thompson, obviously tops of the division. Jeff Neal, on the other hand, is coming off a win over Santiago Ponzinibbio, albeit by split decision. He lost to Neil Magny and lost to Stephen Thompson, the aforementioned before that. So he is one and two in his last three. He's the dog here, but is there anything you see? Can you see yourself going with Jeff Neal? Who you got here? I can't see myself going with Jeff Neal, mostly, and, and I... I kind of put him in the same camp as I put Tiago Santos here, right? Tiago Santos had those moments of brilliance that made you think, you know, like he, he's a guy who I should pick all the time. I used to think that about Jeff Neal. I mean, he this is a guy who went out and beat the hell out of Bilal Muhammad. Like, he, he beat up Bilal Muhammad to a unanimous decision pretty easily. Then he knocked out Nico Price and Mike Perry back-to-back, and everybody was talking about him like, you know, this is a guy who's heading for the top of the division. And then he just kind of has gotten outworked by people who are longer and who fight a little bit more cleanly on the feet, uh, in both Stephen Thompson and Neil Magny. And, and, you know, that was a split decision win over Santiago Ponzinibbio. Same thing, like long-rangey strikers bother him. I'm not saying that Vicente Luque is a long-rangey striker, but he's a guy who can put his strikes together really well and who hits like a truck. You know, you can make a mistake against, uh, you know, a, a Wonder Boy because Wonder Boy doesn't always put everything behind it. You can definitely make a mistake against Neil Magny and eat a couple of jabs and maybe an overhand right. But, like, you can't make those mistakes against Vicente Luque. He turns your lights out, he slaps into Darius Choke, and he puts you to sleep. And I, I think here that's probably what's going to happen to Jeff Neal is that Je- Jeff Neal has got good stuff on the feet. He's just not, like threatening enough that he's going to put anybody away or at least he hasn't looked like that guy who who put you know like I said Mike Perry away back then he's looked like a guy who gets outpointed on the feet by people who are longer and who makes mistakes when he tries to run in and he's up against the guy you can't make mistakes against so yeah I like Vicente Luque here all right uh let's go to the heavyweights then uh, Sergi Spivak is going to be a minus 210 favorite and Augusto Sakai, a plus 180 dog. is a guy, I just, I don't even think he should be in the UFC. He's on a three fight losing streak, uh, TKOs and KOs to all in all three of the losses to Tai Tuivasa, Jairzo Rosenstrick and Alster Overeem. Uh, Spivak, we can thank as the guy who retired Greg Hardy from the UFC One of these fighters, you know, wins a few, loses a few. He did have a three-fight win streak starting in 2020, uh, then lost to Tom Aspinall, but came back and beat Greg Hardy. That was his last fight, as I said. Um, 
as a fighter. He's 14 and three as a pro uh, with the two losses coming to Tom Aspinall and Marcin Tybura and, or sorry, the three losses, Tom Aspinall, Marcin Tybura and Walt Harris of all people in the UFC. He's the favorite here, though. Who you got? Yeah, I, I think it, we we need to mention too. Sergey Spivak has a win over over Tai Tuivasa. In fact, he finished Tai Tuivasa, which is kind of crazy to say in retrospect. Uh, I'm picking Sergey Spivak here all day. Uh, like you mentioned, Augusto Sakai, since rattling off those wins all right in a row against Tybura and Ivanov and, and Arlovsky, uh, which by the way, that the Arlovsky one was terrible, a terrible decision. Um, like since all of those wins. He, he's looked atrocious, um, and, and not just looked atrocious in that he got knocked out by Tai Tuivasa and Rosenstreich, but like the Overeem loss came by Overeem largely out grappling him, uh, which not not that Overeem didn't still have wrestling in 2020, but he had less wrestling than he used to have in 2020. Um, you know, even Blago Ivanov wrestled him and, and almost took a split decision from Augusto Sakai. Spivak, the thing about Spivak is he's got great takedowns, right? Like we saw it against Greg Hardy where he tired him out, but it wasn't just against Greg Hardy. He did that to Jared Bandera. He did it to Carlos Felipe. He sure as hell did it to Tai Tuivasa. I don't think Augusto Sakai stops even one of his takedowns. I think Spivak just rides him out on top uh, and wins this pretty easily. Our dog of the week is Priscilla Cachoeira. Let's hear it. She's a plus 140 over Ariana Lipsky. Yeah, I, I like Priscilla Cachoeira here, and, and I know uh, I, I don't actually like her very much as a maybe as a human being when we saw those eye gouges from her a while ago. But I think she's a lot cleaner and hits a lot harder than Ariane Lipsky. Everybody talks about Lipsky being, you know, like this fun striker who came from Poland and she was highly touted as a striker. She hasn't looked like she could outstrike literally anybody in the UFC yet. Uh, and, and for some reason, some inexplicable reason, she comes in here as a favorite. Um, and, and, you know, like, I, I mean, I guess maybe she outstruck Mandy Bohm, but like she wasn't able to outstrike Antonina Shevchenko or Montana De La Rosa. Um, she wasn't able to outstrike Luana Carolina. She had to go to the ground with her. And like, I don't think she's going to go to the ground and submit Cachoeira there. And I think Cachoeira is just going to hit her harder. So if this goes to a three round decision, the, the judges are going to take the fighter who's been snapping the other one's head back, not the one who's been landing, you know, like knees in the clinch, which is pretty much what I see Lipsky doing here. So I, I like Cachoeira and I like getting the plus money on it. All right. Well, let's talk about our parlay to play. Zach Ponga, a minus 235. Brian Battle, a minus 230. Two two-to-one favorites. Pair them together. It does get you plus one money just a bit at plus 105. Break it down. So Zach Ponga is fighting in the uh, Ultimate Fighter finale against Kamaru Usman's little little brother, little brother uh, Mohamed Usman, although he's quite big. Ponga is only a 205er or has fought at 205 in the past, and here he is in the heavyweight finals. And I mean, we've seen his advantage on the show. His advantage on the show is that he is so much faster than all of the other heavyweights that were on the show. And Usman was maybe one of the slower ones. So I, I think he's just going to dance around him, light him up with whatever kind of strikes he wants. And with that finishing power, I, I think he actually probably finishes Usman here. I have no worry that he beats Usman. I, I don't see a path to victory for Usman. He's not going to out-wrestle Ponga, who trains with, you know, Curtis Blades. He ain't going to outbox Ponga. So I, I think negative 235 here is pretty safe. And I like Brian Battle at negative 230. Uh, at first, I was a little hesitant because I don't know how he's going to look down at welterweight, him cutting down in weight is a little bit alarming, uh, but he looks ripped. I've seen pictures of him. He looks absolutely jacked. And in addition to that, the fact that, you know, I, I really think that he his 
his physicality is going to play down a weight class is going to be huge because Sato here is kind of like, I knock you out or I look shitty in the grappling. I think he looks shitty in the grappling. So I'm going to take Ponga and battle together plus 105. Boom. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to our favorite segment on the show, Fight Dogs and Parlays, as much as we like delivering it to you. Let us know on the social medias at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter and IG. Did we do you right? Did we do you dirty? in these picks gumby it's been a fun trip so far getting ready for this weekend's fight action where should we go next we're going to transition now to my interview with terrence mckinney who fights eric gonzalez this weekend at ufc vegas 59 but before we do i need to mention that this interview is brought to you by maroon social m-a-r-u-n-e maroon social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Terrence McKinney. All right, and joining me today is Terrence McKinney, who fights Eric Ghost Pepper Gonzalez at UFC Vegas 59, that fight on August 6th. So, Terrence... Well, I want to start by talking about your last fight, because while it didn't go your way, we obviously saw some pretty amazing things out of you and your opponents. You go out there, you take a fight on two weeks' notice against a guy who's basically ranked in Drew Dober. You have an amazing back and forth. Do you have any regrets about taking that fight, or, or the way that you approached it, or, or is it all positives after that? It's all positive, because now I know just the necessary adjustments to make when I'm fighting someone in the higher enchilots of the division. So I'm just I'm just ready to show the growth I learned from there because in every every win and loss, that's always something you could take away. Yeah, and, and do you feel like, out of curiosity, like the, the hype behind you was so big, right? Like because you're knocking people out senseless in like no time at all. Do, do you feel like you, you got hate off of that? Or, or do you feel like, you know, people love your style so much you're still feeling the love? Uh, I think it, it it was still a win for me. I gained like eight thousand followers after that fight, so I think the hype is still there. Like I showed up eight day notice, was the first person ever in the UFC to drop Jude over. So it was a it was a win even even in a defeat. So I wouldn't take anything back from it. I know how to pick my shots when I have someone hurt now, if they can take it. Uh, just just a lot of growth after that fight, and I'm very excited to showcase the new skills august 6th and, and you you mentioned like you know fixing a thing or two at the very beginning there was was that mostly it just like picking your shot when when you got a guy hurt rather than pouring it on yeah exactly looking for another clean hard shot close moments and just making sure i'm looking for the submission as well not just being knockout thirsty because i do like to make the fans happy but at the same time i need to make my bank account happy so just making sure <laughs> Just making sure I'm looking for the submission as well, actively, and the knockout. That makes a lot of sense. And we're going to talk about your game plan for your upcoming fight in a moment. I, I do want to ask, though, too, because you said you're the first guy to knock down Drew Dober. And it's true. You're, you're the first guy to hit him that hard. What were your thoughts about his durability? What, what was it like hitting a guy like that and seeing you know, his big jaw still coming forward? And one moment I was like, "Geez, this dude is tough." Because I remember one when I when I kicked him all the way to standing up. Like once he pushed me out of his guard, and right before he could even stand fully up, I smoked him with a kick and it spilled him all the way up. And I was like, "Damn, this is really the crimson champ." People were not lying. And in my head, I was laughing. I was like, "Jesus Christ, this is a beast." 
<laughs> Absolutely. Now, now let's talk a little bit about the prep for this fight because obviously a much longer layoff, right? You're not doing this again on two weeks' notice like uh like you did last time. This one is actually a little bit longer than a layoff than you typically get. Was it somewhat just like needing to heal up, or was it to take time to book another one? Was it by design? Why so long off? I think uh, the guy needs to heal up because uh, originally we were supposed to be fighting July 16th, uh, and he said he wouldn't be ready till August, so we just had to push it back, sadly. And, and is that frustrating for you? Because I know you're a guy, obviously, who likes to stay busy, right? You're the quick turnaround guy. Is it frustrating for you to have to put, you know, almost this much emphasis and this much time on preparing for one dude? Uh, yeah, but it 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 was good though because it got me gave me time to just really like reflect on my last fight and just to get more motivated. Because, like I said, I wanted to show them I have cardio. I just wanted to show them something different every time. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you, you said you wanted to show people something different, and you mentioned a little bit of your grappling. Obviously, Eric Gonzalez, he's a guy who likes to throw his hands. He, he likes to get in there and, and try to put a fight of the night performance on. Is that something you anticipate obliging him in? Or or like you said before, are, are we going to see a little bit more of that Terrence McKinney wrestling that we know about? Um, definitely expect him to get punched in the face, <laughs> um, but also for me to look for the submission. So if I drop them and arm bars there or like a Dars or anything's available, just know I'm going to take it versus trying to pound them out till he's still. And, and, and like you said, you, you're a guy who, who likes to, to make the audience excited, right? Who likes to, you know, keep the people on their feet and striking usually does that. But I feel like your style of grappling also, it, it's not like it's a boring styling of grappling by any means. Is, is, does that come into play at all either? Do you, do you try to be extra exciting when you're on the mat? Um, yes, because every time I'm looking to get 50G bonus every time, performance of the night, knockout of the night, submission of the night, I, I'm looking to put something in history, you know, something in a career that no one's ever going to forget. I like it. Now, I was looking at your social media before we started this interview, and I saw you, you had, you had, uh, retweeted a picture of Shawn Michaels throwing that sweet chin music on Shelton Benjamin and, and suggested that maybe that's the finish for this. Do you got something spectacular like that lined up? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I can't reveal it all. The um, the kicks I've been working on and just the setups, all the punches, I just know something sick's going to happen. Just know that. And it's, it's definitely going to be worth 50 Gs, especially on this card. And with Jamal Hill, I can't wait for both of us to, to come up like we should. I love it. I love it. Now, I, I'm curious, too. Were, were you a big uh, pro wrestling fan growing up? Is that where sort of your, your thirst for entertaining fans comes from? Yeah, you know, my favorite was Stone Cold Steve Austin and John Cena. So, and then later on, it was The Rock. So, like, I always I always was a fan of WWE growing up. And then it was Power Rangers, and then Dragon Ball Z, and then so forth. That, that, that's a prime time to grow up in the WWE era right there. Stone Cold and The Rock were my faves as well. You know, like like 1995 and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that, for so. sure, for sure, man. Now, I, I always like to ask before I let any fighters go for a prediction. Do, do you have a way... 
I mean, you, you already tipped that you're not going to give us too much about the kicks, but do you have a way that you see this fight with Eric Gonzalez ending or, or maybe a round? Um, I, I see it ending in the second round with us by a knockout or submission guarantee. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Terrence McKinney, who fights Eric Gonzalez at UFC Vegas 59. That fight on August 6th. Terrence, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. Stay blessed and a pleasure to talk to you today. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas, uh, MMA Play 365, and of course, Maroon Social. Remember that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then. <laughs>